Welcome back to another episode of Bcast. I'm Ethan with Jackson, and we're here to interview with the avid gamer and our beloved chemistry teacher, Vincent Colicchio, on the subject of video game. All right, so to uh, start off the interview questions, what was the first video game you've ever played? Honestly, I can't remember. Um, I, it was a slew of Nintendo 64 and GameCube games, all many of which I don't remember the names of. But the one that sticks in my mind the most by far is Super Monkey Ball 2. I was very bad at it, and I would play it as like a... I think at the time I might have been like seven years old, but I would play it for hours and hours and hours until I finished all 100 challenges. Yeah, I remember my first game was the uh, Lego Star Wars uh, on the Wii, and I remember uh, completely finishing it multiple times before I even bought another video game, so I have very fond memories yeah, of that, and LEGO, I'm able to recall basically every mission. Lego Star Wars was my second game, actually. Nice. Um, and ironically enough, I actually was into the game first before I fell in love with Star Wars as a franchise. Same. That's funny. So, wait, you said Super Monkey Ball 2, right? So, what exactly was it? Because... Well, I'm a Zoomer when it comes to video games compared to basically everybody else. So what, what was the gameplay or premise about? Essentially, you are quite literally a monkey inside a ball. Mm-hmm. And you have to roll yourself to various goalposts that are on the map. Or sorry, a single goalpost that's on the map. And how you get there, you get there by like flipping switches, oh. defying gravity. And gravity is very much your enemy in this game. I really liked the challenge aspect of it, and I liked how it wasn't very competitive. I think the thing that kept me playing it over and over again was the fact that no matter how difficult the mission was, or how difficult the challenge was, you always had 60 seconds to complete the uh, the challenge. So it just kept increasing the difficulty over and over? Or Yeah, every mission um, or challenge is more difficult than the next. And it oh, gets okay. progressively harder throughout the 100. Mm-hmm. And so you did a bunch of multiple com- full completions of it? Going back. I did one completion, and, and which took me upwards of a year and a half. And after I finished that one completion, I, I touched it again only to show people my success in the game. Ah, I see. Okay. Moving more broadly, what has been your favorite like video game genre, at least of recent years? I guess I, in, in recent years, it's a little... The story's a little more nuanced. I definitely started with Shooter, where I would constantly play Modern Warfare 2 all the time on the weekends when I had when I was my 360 was present. And eventually I fell in love with Battlefield. There was a period of time, I would say, between like when I was a senior in high school and a junior in college that I didn't really touch gaming nearly as much. I would just jump into like GTA 5 and do free roam all the time. But I started picking gaming back up again with a variety of open world games. Skyrim was something that I really, really enjoyed. Eventually, and also Horizon Zero Dawn, frankly. Once the COVID-19 pandemic hit, I jumped back into shooters with the release of Modern Warfare 2019. um, And I would play that very, very frequently. I think it gets a little too much hate for for what it was and maybe i'm just saying that because i took uh, a hiatus from the cod franchise since black ops 3 and so jumping back into something that was more familiar with a lot of customization was very appealing to me and i would say that solidly like shooters has been my thing for the past three years especially now with halo infinite out um unfortunately 
I have not touched Call of Duty and Battlefield in some months as a result of their uh, their recent launches. Yes, that and interesting workplace practices. I know that my favorite video game category, at least recently, has shifted over to like open world and like not necessarily RPGs, but like that kind of like cross between like shooter and RPG. The game that really completely widened my understanding of video games was Red Dead Redemption 2. I am a huge fan of that game. Um, I've completed it about six times, like, over the past two years. So I just enjoy, I love playing that so much. But before that, I was definitely, like, a big, like, shooter fan. I love playing, like, Titanfall, uh, Halo. I love Titanfall. Yeah, those games are fun. Ethan, I'm assuming you're more into the uh, shooter games as well. Oh, yeah. I I started first. I cut my teeth, I guess, on mobile games. Yes, imagine mobile games. But like, I used to have an iPad when I was like all the way through 12 years old, playing all these various mobile games, sinking hours into them for all these mobile first-person shooters. Eventually, I transitioned over to Roblox. Right? They, which uh, one of the games, in fact, that I used to play a lot on a trackpad, mind you, imagine, was Phantom Forces. Essentially, yes, I, Jackson, I can see you facepalming. <laughs> I do not need more disregard for my gaming habits. Originally, it started off as like a really bad Battlefield ripoff with the four classes, you know, Assault, Engineer, although they, they didn't even have Engineer gadgets or vehicles, Support, and Recon. So the f basic class system, it was essentially a weapon simulator. With uh, Eventually, it became just its own ridiculous weapon simulator. But when I got a proper computer that could actually run games, I transitioned over to real gaming, which is like releases from bigger studios, so AAA, that kind of thing. And I think, yeah, I think my first few games on the PC was absolutely horrid because, well, I hadn't really done much in that area beforehand, but... I did spend a lot of time playing Siege, sometimes CSGO, and at a few friends' houses, you know, COD Modern Warfare 2, that kind of thing. And the COD games that I played on my own PC, first one ever, I think, was Modern Warfare 2019, and then Warzone. Yeah, so speaking of, like, gaming on PC, uh, have you historically been a fan of console gaming, or... I started with console gaming, um, 100%. My first console was a GameCube. From GameCube, I upgraded to 360. Then the Xbox One Microsoft reveal came out, and that's when I trans uh, transitioned to PS4 <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, and then from PS4, uh, I wanted to get a PS5, but they were obviously in short supply, and so I started building my own PC. Really what I, I wanted out of my PC was the freedom to play whatever game I want from whatever whatever era I wanted all in one place. So I could pick up, for example, Portal 2 without needing to like move over to my um, TV, plug in my 360, unplug my PS4, and load up Portal. Yeah. Um, really though, I think for, for me, I love PlayStation for its open-world, story-driven games, and PC has been great for, um, number one, playing shooters, but also for playing, uh, I guess you can call them legacy games. Yeah, I also started on console. I started on Xbox because my friends almost entirely played Xbox. Well, yeah. sorry, my first console was a Wii that I saved up over, like, two years' worth of allowance in order to get for myself. 
Uh, but then, like, I switched over to Xbox, and then last, like, right, right before the pandemic hit, literally the day before, I decided to build my own PC, and I spent, like, the first month of quarantine uh, figuring out how to build this computer, and I never expected myself to like PC gaming. I thought that keyboards were, like, a little bit annoying to use, although the controller was just so much better, but now I feel the exact opposite. It's funny you mention that, because I refuse to use a keyboard and mouse. Um, <laughs> yeah, I refuse to use a keyboard and mouse in most instances. Uh, I actually plug in um, a 360, sorry, a 360. I actually plug in an Xbox controller with back paddles whenever I play. Um, there's just something about a controller that I find really beautiful that I can't really get the feeling of a game in my hands like I can with a controller. It just doesn't happen on mouse and keyboard. Lack of tactile feedback, right? Controller, you can have like a vibration setting for a controller if you want to. That also, that will work if there's an impact, right? For say an explosion. Yeah, I mean, the thing about uh, a controller on PC is that you get less of that than you would oh. on something that's optimized for a console. For me, it's more so the ability to use all of my fingers like on the yeah. controller itself rather than me like waving a mouse around with one hand and then pressing WD, uh, WASD um, with another hand. Yeah, the one thing that I like about keyboard and mouse more than controller is the mouse. I think that the ability to like move around quickly and like stop was very good because the thing that really got me to transition over to PC was Rainbow Six Siege because I got super competitive yeah, that <laughs> to that game. I got super competitive in that game, and I was getting frustrated with the amount of people on Xbox who were using keyboard and mouse like adapters. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna switch over to PC. I know that like it's just everyone's gonna be using a keyboard and mouse then, so I might as well learn how to use yeah, it. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because one of the reasons why I quit quit Siege actually was for that reason. Awesome. And I knew okay. that I would never like be successful in Siege using a controller, but I absolutely refused to give up my controller because of how much I enjoy it. And so even now when I play Halo Infinite and people are telling me like, you gotta play, it's meant for keyboard and mouse. I'm like, well, is it though? Because it started out on 360. And even then there is a specific option when you play ranked modes to select to play with controller only. Yeah, so circling back to the um the comment you made on like the PS4 and like how like their games are very story driven. What do you think is the best video game when it comes to storytelling? So it's not what you would think it is. And I know a lot of people would say stuff like Red Dead Redemption 2, Horizon Zero Dawn, and they have great narratives. Um, Red Dead in particular, uh, while I find that it has too many missions, it's a little bloated for me. Um, what it's really good at is telling stories through environments and through cutscenes rather than uh, its direct gameplay, right? Um, however, they still do, in fact, inform each other. Um, with Horizon Zero Dawn, I can appreciate how it's only like 20-something in the low 20s for the number of missions, and so you remember what the story's actually about, and the, the pacing of it is very strong. However, for me, my favorite game narrative is actually the first Modern Warfare title. Um, I absolutely loved all the characters. I loved the pacing of it, how I could quite literally, if I wanted to, play through the entire story. Hours would go by, and I would feel like it only took five minutes. Um, I think that it's very rare to find a shooter 
where you become very invested in all the characters, including the silent protagonist that you're playing as. Um, and I thought that COD 4 did a wonderful job of doing that. And also, frankly, of introducing us to two villains that we don't see very often, but are very memorable within the space. Apart from that, it's it has to be The Last of Us, which I think is a classic. Yeah. Uh, quick side question. What's your opinion on The Last of Us 2? I know that's been very controversial. Yeah, I, in the eyes of... I don't have a PS5, so I haven't played it. From And I have watched videos of the gameplay, and I have watched the cutscenes. I do think it gets too much hate, because I think there there is something to be said about you know the, the extent to which Joel really needed to be in the story anymore. Regarding the villain, um, I, I honestly can't say much about it, because I haven't played the game, um, and I think that it's unfair to judge a video game's narrative uh, without playing the game yourself. Yeah. So, on to like more specific questions. So, you are currently developing a game with a uh, group of people. What type of game are you specifically trying to develop? Um, it is an action-adventure game. And, and we, we tried to think of... I actually asked my partner, like, what to what extent can I reveal certain information? <laughs> It is an action-adventure game, and it's an open-world stylized fantasy western. Stylized in the sense that, in, in terms of the art, the basic shapes are there, but there's a certain variety in the colors um, and in the way that objects are built and the way that the environments are created that make you feel like you are in an actual fantasy environment. So, as the colors tend to be more striking, would you say? Or... I'd say that it's a good balance. Well, I'd say that you have to find a good balance between visually striking um, and neutral. Because if everything is visually striking, if you have bright hues of purple all over the place, a player might find that blinding. Um, one part of an artist's job is definitely to figure out um, what needs to have attention drawn to it. So if everything is visually striking, then the player doesn't know what they need to look at. A really good example of this is actually Legend of Zelda, which has a lot of, uh, of colors. If you play especially Breath of the Wild, you'll notice that the environment is not always glowing, right? But Zelda, uh, sorry, Link is always glowing, for example. I know, I, I made that mistake. Jackson, like, shook his head. I make that mistake all the time. I used to, too. It's okay. So, uh, would you say that the arts... Would, well, I'm not actually sure if you're allowed to disclose details such as this but when you say stylized I a stylized fantasy or to be stylized I tend to think of uh, games like Team Fortress 2 or Overwatch those games that look that have that are definitely based on realism but they're they also seem to take more exaggerated features and uh, exaggerate the colors somewhat would you say um so regarding that, I don't want to say too much because especially when you're building out a demo phase, there's a lot that goes into tweaking. Um, a really good example of this is currently our landscape is pretty dull, as in like the actual ground itself. It doesn't have a lot of vibrant colors, but there are certain objects around that landscape that are very, very vibrant, right? And so there's that contrast between the two. but. I also currently don't have any materials created for um, buildings, right? So after I include uh, materials for buildings, 
we might find that perhaps the environment is too vibrant and we need to dull it down or we might find that the landscape is too dull and we need to increase the quality of it what i will say is it's definitely not or what we're erring away from is doing something that is overly cartoonish such as team fortress because you always need to make sure that your art informs your narrative your narrative informs your art um, and everything informs the gameplay as gameplay would inform everything else so you have to create one cohesive picture um which again is something we're continuously working on yeah i mean this is like a completely different style of game but when you talk about how you want to be real real but at the same time have a lot of like you know very prominent striking colors i think of hotline miami a lot where it's like you play yeah. a person but then the environments are so saturated that they just make for like a really surreal dreamlike experience um, and I guess it's like what I got from your, uh, descriptions of the style of it, but also like another question that, uh, we might want to ask is, um, what are, what are important details when it comes to gameplay for like a game that you would create? Um, for me personally, and I think you'll get various answers depending on the developer, the developing team and what type of game they're working on. Yeah. Um, one aspect of gameplay that's very, very important to me, and it's because of the types of games that I'm interested in, is traversal. So what you find uh, is that in a lot of open world games, you're actually spending more time traversing the environment than you are in combat. Right? Most of your time is dedicated to running around, riding a horse, or climbing a mountain. Walking simulators. Right. So, <laughs> Death Stranding. So... Um, the environment not only needs to like look great and have magnific magnificent vistas, um, but it also needs to play in an interesting way. And the easiest way to do that is by adding verticality, right? Uh, one example of a game that is very well known is The Witcher, Witcher 3 in particular. Um, the Witcher 3 has pretty good combat. Uh, it's very clean. But one of the, my issues with it, and again, it's a, it's completely a personal opinion, was that there is no reason why it couldn't have had more verticality within the gameplay, right? Um, and I felt like that was lacking, and because that was lacking for me personally, like that interest in continuing the gameplay wasn't there as much. Um, but perhaps the most important thing is uh, little narrative harmony. Um, I touched on this earlier, but little, little narrative harmony is essentially when the gameplay informs the story and the story informs the gameplay. So all aspects need to uh, inform one another. The opposite of that is little narrative dissonance. Um, a really good example of little narrative dissonance is GTA 4. Um, if you consider Nico, the main character, He's an aspiring uh, immigrant who comes to the United States and he's involved in a life of crime and constantly trying to get away from it in order to better himself as a man. But at the same time, no matter what part of the story that you're in, you can hop in a car and run random people over while you're in free room. Yeah, another game, that, like basically any Rockstar game, I'm thinking of, especially Red Dead Redemption 2, because Arthur Morgan, the main character of the game, Especially by the end of the game, uh, by the way, spoilers, um, once he contracts, like, a terminal disease, 
he becomes like he he reflects in on himself and like the entire last chapter of the game story wise is like very like deep and it tells like a very sad story of like redemption uh, hence the title but when you when you fill the gap between like crying in a tent with people and like hugging and another mission where you're like going to save like someone's son with just senseless murder and like acts of violence it makes you less connected with it makes the story feel less realistic not because of like the fault of the game developers but purely because the people playing the game choose to be psychopaths and it kind of makes the experience less you know grounded right and there's also that question on the developer's shoulders right because that's something that you need to consider is um there are going to be organic moments in your gameplay that you as the developer didn't didn't think would happen where we see that all the time when people uncover like different types of combos that they didn't think that they could do or different modes of traversal that like the developer didn't think they could do a really good example of this is um in modern warfare 2 actually with one man army noob tubing oh. right oh. <laughs> we didn't think the developers didn't think one man army noob tubing was going to be a thing but alas it became a thing actually maybe um, you should provide context for what one man army yeah one man army so um one man army was this perk where you could essentially change your class an infinite number of times so long as you had this perk. So you could just switch from um, one-man army to another class with one-man army and still be able to switch to another class with one-man army just over and over again. And um, what essentially people would do was that they would strap a grenade launcher with this perk called Danger Close, which makes your explosives be... Um, less harmful to yourself. Less harmful to yourself, but more harmful to others. And so people would put Danger Close with one-man army with a grenade launcher and constantly just shoot grenade an infinite number of grenades at people over and over and over again. And the grenade launchers were called noob tubes because uh, noobs, which are newbie players, would just use those to get free kills instead of actually shooting someone with the proper weapon. And so many, many violent verbal exchanges were had, were had over Xbox Live voice chat after the match. I'm yes. sure you have many, many memories. I, I have many memories. Um, so about, like, around for that. about combat in video games, um, how do you handle the balance between like making a game, like making it challenging, but not like Dark Souls? Yeah. And for context, Dark Souls yeah. is ridiculous. Sorry. For context, Dark Souls is known to be one of the most difficult games to play, especially on the harder difficulties. Yeah, so my partner is actually the better person to speak with about this side of development. Um, but his workflow, or, which is the process by which he approaches development, involves um, really just workshopping and developing mathematical models. So, for example, if I hit enemy X with item Y using character Z, how many hit points or damage points should enemy X take? Um, and how many, how many of each enemy should spawn simultaneously? And so it's better to have all of these instances hypothesized and thought out first before you, get, you begin programming because it saves you a lot of time later. Because at the very least, you have a basis for how you're going to approach the system. Um, but ultimately, what he does is quite literally, he puts himself in the seat of the player and he just asks himself, is this fun? Right? That Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of the, a lot of the best fighting games 
or like games that involve fighting, it doesn't feel like you're just pressing buttons and like you just press this button repeatedly and that wins you the fight. It 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 just feels more um as is kind of abstract, but it feels more like a dance than like a uh, like just like a fist fight because in real life, uh, for those who have been in fist fights, uh, you'll know that like it's not very fun because you're just getting hit and you're just flailing your arms around. But when it comes to video games, you want it to be enjoyable, so making it more choreographed and having those like more extravagant kicks and like flips allows. I don't know, for more enjoyment in savagery. A really good example that, that comes to mind of this good balance is Sleeping Dogs. Mm, um, yes. Which I I absolutely despised when I was younger because I didn't... I, I was not mature enough to really understand what Sleeping Dogs was attempting to accomplish. And as I got older, especially like in the past year, I finally understood and I absolutely fell in love with the game. Um the the combat and especially like the hand-to-hand combat in the game is really enjoyable yeah uh i i got like sleeping dogs on like discount one year and it the martial arts system was so enjoyable especially for a game that came out in like early 2010s like you'd expect it to be very janky right but it was very fluid and i found like Sometimes when I play a game and there's like a fun combat scene, I'll like literally jump out of my chair for a second just because I'm so excited, and that's one of those games that provides that. Um, Wait, hold on. Yeah. So, what did you find specifically enjoyable about the Sleeping Dogs combat style? Was it the animations? Was it the combinations that you could use? Because I never played Sleeping Dogs. In fact, I doubt that I know much about it. So, uh, you you specifically you two seem to mention martial arts a lot. Was it? Was it the enemy difficulty that also added in some enjoyment to it? I think it's a it's honestly a mix of everything. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that people forget or sometimes overlook regarding either game development or gameplay is that if something stands out to you, it stands out to you because everything else is really good, and you can't have something stand out if everything else falters. You can have a fantastic animation. Um, for a particular combo, but if it doesn't feel good, no one's going to care about the animation. If it is buggy, if you're skipping frames during that animation, nobody's going to care about that animation. Um, And so really for me, it was how cohesive the animations, the gameplay, the choice of, and this is something that a lot of people don't think about, but the choice of which buttons you need to press in order to achieve a certain combo or achieve a certain action in conjunction with the level of enemy difficulty and how it would scale as you progress through the game. Um, it did a great job balancing and truly juggling all of that. Yeah. Um, I think the last question that we really have time for is one that's more open-ended, but how do you like try to immerse players into the world of your game? Yeah, that is definitely uh, an open-ended question, and I think that it's the question that um, that all developers need to ask themselves. So first, it depends on the type of game you're developing, what your strengths are as a developer or studio, and especially what your role is. So for example, artists may focus on visual clarity, 
Um, so can the player actually identify what's being presented to them and identify its purpose? A good example of this would be if you have uh, a weapon that's sitting on a shelf, right? To what extent is that weapon usable? Can the player pick it up or can't they pick it up? It needs to be clear so that the player isn't standing next to this weapon for like five minutes attempting to pick it up. They need to know that it's not meant to be used. Um, as a musician, you're going to ask yourself, how can I create music that is not only enjoyable, but fits the tone of not only the game, but also the moment. For me, um, I really enjoy working on game narrative and building out environments. So I want to ensure that the player feels as though the environment they're in has a story behind it and also sparks a certain level of curiosity. But there is that fine line where you don't want something to be overly cliche or in your face. Um, everything should really be subtle so that the player feels like they're discovering it on their own rather than um, feeling as though the developer is really trying to push something towards them. People know when they're being preached to, right. essentially. And um, on the, the story end, um, for me personally, I love creating stories and plots that are rooted in characters and cultures within the narrative. I found that if characters, culture, and story of the game are memorable, then the player will be incentivized to, to keep playing because they have a reason to keep playing. There's a reason why you can cycle through Red Dead Redemption multiple times or you can cycle through The Last of Us multiple times. Um, it's because while you're playing each mission, not only is the gameplay strong, but you feel as though you have a purpose and you need to reach that purpose. There's a lot of titles now, especially ones that have sort of rinsed and repeated themselves. A good example is Assassin's Creed. where And the, Far Cry. And Far Cry, where the narratives of, of the game and the story are not really thought out until halfway or three quarters of the way through development. Um, and it's sort of kept on the back burner. And so at the end of the day, all you're really doing is you're roaming around this world and you're engaging in combat, but you don't know why you're doing it. And if you don't have that purpose, you don't have a desire to play the game. That's true, that's true. Yeah, in Wait. my opinion, sorry. In my opinion, I think that Assassin's Creed Odyssey was one of the best games in the series. I like their like flipping of the script, kind of, but I feel like a lot of these like yearly installments or these semi-yearly installments tend to flop more because it's less about what, hey, let's make a good game. It's more about what, let's make this game because we can make some money. Right. And I feel like the the point that a lot of developers want to be at is they don't want to have to make a game for the money. They want to make a game because they want to make something enjoyable. But then managers at EA will say, nope, you got to make us money. I mean, I've noticed that Assassin's Creed and Far Cry, originally they used to be about, you know... For Assassin's Creed, it was about uh, the Assassin Brotherhood deciding to liberate people instead and govern by rights instead of tyranny. And so, throughout uh, the earlier Assassin's Creed games, one uh, with Altair, the second, the Ezio trilogy. Uh, what's his name? No, not Connor Kenway. Uh, the this, I actually forgot the name of the protagonist from Assassin's Creed Three. But all of it was about uh, fighting for liberty, rights, and so on and so forth. Far Cry was about liberating locations from dictators, right? Or something of that sort. And so, 
they, they all had you think that you feel that you were fighting for a purpose, right? Freedom, liberty, democracy, so on and so forth. And nowadays it just feels, it just feels like, okay, just be stealthy, kill this person, kill that person, topple a government, move on, right? And when you talked about giving your players a sense of purpose, my mind immediately went to Fallout New Vegas, which, uh, if you, uh, spoilers by the way, feel free to click away if you don't want this spoil, but Fallout New Vegas, it eventually ends with you masterminding or assisting, essentially assisting the takeover of the Mojave Desert by a certain powerful faction or you yourself, right? And so you have the choice between a republic that lives by the rule of law, for example, also known as the New California Republic. So you can choose whether you want to fight for the side of democracy uh, and, well, taxes. You can also choose to support a corporate tyrant known as Mr. House, whose division for the Mojave is to run it as a, essentially a massive casino <coughs> well, located, <Disney. laughs> located in, 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 New, in Las Vegas, which is now New Vegas, and run with corporate efficiency. And you can, or you can also choose to support a violent fundamentalist regime known as Caesar's Legion that essentially is a social Darwinist group. Or you could also choose to take over the Mojave for yourself. And so there are so many ch choices that tie into your into real life morals that draw in the player and make them support one side against each other. And I think that's really important, giving your players a sense of purpose, especially in narrative driven games. So a good point about essentially giving your players a good sense of purpose. Yeah. And I think there's also different ways to achieve that. One way you mentioned is by giving the player an active choice. And another way is just by creating good characters and good cultures that people are invested in and that people care about. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, there's no really good way to end a podcast. So thanks again to Mr. Cliccio for allowing this interview. It was great. This has been the gaming segment of Week 